This is Record of Change, a podcast that documents how people's lives are being shaped by the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Pratap Nair, your host for this episode. Today, we're talking to Didem Tully, a journalist and multimedia producer who lives in Istanbul. Didem, in her own words, is a multi-hyphenated millennial cliché. We will let her explain what that really entails. In the millennial tradition of turning crisis into opportunities, Didem has embraced the lockdown. Didem has issues related to ADHD and says she's developed new coping mechanisms during the lockdown. We will also hear about Turkey's healthcare system and its handling of the pandemic. So my name is Didem Tali. I'm a multi-hyphenated journalist and media producer. I work for a lot of traditional media outlets that are mainly based in the US and the UK and I also make documentary films and I am editorial and communication consultant. I'm working as a managing editor for the New York based Contently and I do undertake research and sociological analysis projects for non-profits and companies and I'm working on a novel. Okay, great. I wanted to ask you to explain where you are right now and I wanted to, you know, paint me a visual picture. I've been working from home for almost all my career, so I have a dedicated office in my flat. So right now I'm in my office. I have a beautiful two-bedroom flat in the Asian part of Istanbul in Kadıköy in Moda neighborhood, which is a trendy neighborhood where I have a lot of the things that I want from life, such as my um, Pilates and yoga studios and my vegan buffets and my handmade gourmet chocolatiers, have I mentioned I'm a millennial hipster cliche. So it's a very beautiful little neighborhood by the sea. And my flat is decorated with a lot of house plants and I am a parent to a row of cacti and succulents and I have a lot of cat-shaped pillows in my house right now. I have a few impressionist paintings on my wall and I have some bookshelves even though I recently moved on from physical books and favoring more and more electronic books a lot of candles. I've been vamping up my house decoration because it looks like we're going to be spending more and more time indoors, so we might as well have a nicer environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks for that beautiful picture that you painted of your neighborhood and your flat. So when this pandemic hit, when the COVID cases started going up, when countries started uh, waking up to the fact that this is a new reality and there is going to be a lockdown. Where were you before and where were you right when it happened? Actually, when the COVID cases started picking up and when this, when we decided to go into lockdown, I was in Bodrum, which is a beautiful Mediterranean resort town in southern Turkey. And I arrived in Bodrum thinking that okay, this is not ideal, but this there is this illness and it seems increasingly serious, but it did not occur to me at that time. I think it was late February that things would just pick up so quickly and our lives would change so drastically. 
Yes, basically, I just started to check out the little available scientific research about the COVID and just caught up with the developments around the world and just checked statistics and facts and numbers. And I concluded that, okay, I we can't really afford doing much else. And in in the hotel, it was the low season time, obviously, there weren't a lot of guests, so it hasn't been very difficult to keep a distance. But there were a few tourists and suddenly when everyone was talking about the massages or the weather or the food that they were eating to suddenly I could just hear in all the foreign languages, English, Turkish, Russian, Romanian, German, COVID, 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 COVID. And I thought, okay, the color of the everyday conversations is just changing. Could you give me a picture of how a regular day for you was before the lockdown and how you're spending uh, your days during the lockdown? So could you take me through a pre-pandemic day and then a post-pandemic day? Sure. So because, as I said, I'm a multi-hyphenated millennial doing many different things, I don't really have a very typical day. I have maybe multiple typical days. Some days it's research and I'm just relentlessly on the phone and emailing back and forth and writing down ideas or interviewing, sometimes in person, sometimes on the phone. And sometimes I have very long filming days that these days typically look like if I'm filming in Istanbul, I pack up and charge all my camera and gear at night and then I pack everything and then spent the entire day probably just running around doing interviews shooting b-rolls and so on and then possibly coming home with a backache because the gear is too heavy and I'm a single woman team I'm just producing everything on my own and I'm also doing a lot of editorial and communication consulting and these projects are all different in nature but for some clients I'm conducting research and sociological analysis and for some clients I'm publishing B2B magazines and blogs and those days would resemble a bit more of a typical home office day that I just wake up and grab my coffee and get dressed and just sit in my office most of the day but because I'm lucky enough to work from home for my entire career I always had those little luxuries of just going for a long lunch or taking a long walk by the sea during a late afternoon and or sometimes just taking a day off and taking a boat to the Princess Islands in Istanbul or organizing some trips and sometimes going away on a sailing trip, which is one luxury we have access in Istanbul or having a museum day. You know, all those amazing privileges that are brought by being able to work on a flexible schedule from home. But they are gone, unfortunately. Yeah, so now it's all still life. Let's talk about you're still life. So... 
I am right now much more of a typical home officer than I used to be. Okay, okay. When you're working from home, how is it different from when you're working outside in the cafe? Are you feeling yourself more productive or, or is there any difference in the way that you're dealing with your life right now when you're locked up? So I immediately decided that since I would be at home for a long period of time and I'm already used to working from home. So I had certain routines and rituals in place. So maybe it wasn't as painful for me to transition into just being at home all the time. But it occurred to me pretty early on that I need to have very strict routines and I need to have some kind of a ritual that signals that okay, day is starting right now and the day is over right now. I would get dressed and put makeup on and put shoes on as if I'm going on a dinner date because I realized that you're going to have at least like six months at home mostly. You might as well just identify between what's day and what's night, you know. Okay. Did you find any coping mechanisms? You said that you put on makeup and you dress up every day. That sounds like a really great coping mechanism. Absolutely. So when you put makeup, it feels like you're putting on war paint. I definitely think that there is some kind of an emotional evolutionary satisfaction that I personally get from putting some makeup. I'm a minimalist. I'm not going to aim to look like Kim Kardashian or something. I'll just put a red lipstick and maybe a little bit of a blush or something. But still, that moment, you have a, you're facing yourself in the mirror and you're looking at yourself in the eye. And I read somewhere that it actually releases oxytocin as well, which is the bonding hormone, especially if you're able to say a few kind words to yourself in front of the mirror. So I, I definitely do that. Your work involved a lot of travel. You were going around the world, but now you're cooped up at home. How has work affected because of the lockdown and the pandemic? Right. I feel like I don't really have a right to complain because, of course, my livelihood was impacted and I had to cancel so many projects. But at the end of the day, I'm probably one of the luckier ones that I still have stable work and stable income. That being said, I cancelled around six international trips and it's not pretty. I cancelled so many projects. I was preparing to have one of my busiest and most hectic and exciting years and it turned out to be pretty much the exact opposite, unfortunately. And yeah, you see, one of my things is that I have pretty terrible ADHD. So it manifests in every corner of my life, including my work projects. I'm doing so many different things that are not necessarily looking like they're connected to each other. Mm -hmm. Has it somehow flared up in this pandemic, in this lockdown period, your ADHD? Sure. I think it's probably a little bit more difficult for a hyperactive person to be indoors all the time and I knew that would be a very big challenge for me and I have a particularly severe case at 
this level, according to my psychiatrist, it's a disability. Um, I, a lot of people, particularly women, have an inattentive type ADHD, and I'm hyperactive as well. Like I, I'm physically hyperactive. I need to be out and around, like doing something. Just I don't know if I don't do anything. I just pick my hair or just need fidget toys, and I'm that person, unfortunately. So I had I realized that this would be probably slightly more challenging for someone of my profile to just be indoors at all the times so I decided to just give a try to dancing at home like free dancing I don't know if this sounds like a wannabe Tim Ferris thing but I decided to that was actually my uh, closing of the day ceremony I woke up putting my war paint on my makeup like my nice and groomed clothes and doing my hair and that signaled the beginning of the day for me and then I would just dance however long I wanted but I set myself a limit like I'm gonna dance for at least six songs sometimes it would be 10 songs or so just freely moving around Zumba moves and I do practice what's called shamanic shaking just put some eye patch on and just shake and move as a ritual and so this was my end of the day ritual once I danced and I just took a shower I knew that okay the day is over now I can just have a dinner and watch something on Netflix or whatever you you live with your husband Sebastian. Is he a great company to be around during this lockdown period? How do you guys, uh, for example, when you're dancing, what does he do? Does he participate? He just watches me in awe. <laughs> okay. Because he's just not the type of person who finds it easy to dance or do these rituals. But actually, he's been great, and I think we're probably a bit luckier than average because we've been both freelancers for much of our careers and we have been working from home for a long period of time. So we're kind of used to each other's company in that way. We are. I have no idea how I would survive without him. Okay. I've been hearing about the reports of people who don't find it as easygoing as we do. I read people like, oh my God, I didn't know my partner before we started living together in lockdown. Mm -hmm. But I feel that spending such an intense and long period of time might accelerate the natural evolution of a relationship. I think if there are some fault lines in the relationship if there are some grievances or unaddressed issues or concerns or doubts they are probably gonna come to the surface when you're spending so much time together and I feel that if you your relationship is based on solid foundations if it's meant to be a long-term and healthy relationship you probably start appreciating your partner and loving them even more when you're just stuck together. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. 
And it's been, yeah, I don't want to do the so much lovey-dovey partner gushing right now, but it's been definitely the letter for me. Yeah, so that needs to be acknowledged, that needs to be stated, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having a long-term and healthy life partner definitely makes everything so much easier. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Little mercies, right? Yeah, absolutely. And how is the mood in Istanbul, uh, Didem? Does anyone in your circle have COVID? Or how, how is it? How are people behaving to the virus? Are they keeping social distancing? Are they wearing masks? How is it to be in Istanbul right now? So despite the easing of the lockdowns and regulations, I've been still cautious. I'm not going out unless I absolutely have to or I take some responsible day trips here and there and just mainly outdoors but we had a good progress with the cases but they've been on the rise again so a lot of people are quite worried and yeah it seems like uh, the second wave is on us right it's everywhere yeah it's- so we just had a big religious festival eat kurban bayrama and in the christian world this would be the equivalent of christmas or easter and there were no lockdowns for this period. So I imagine I am expecting to see a spike in the number of the cases in the coming two weeks. I have to say, Turkey has an excellent public health system, especially given the country's resources. And it's a country that's still experiencing a lot of the typical developmental problems. But we have a wonderful public health, universal public health care system, and all the treatments and testings and everything related to COVID, they've been all absolutely free for everyone, even if you're, a, if you're not a citizen. So in that case, we got a lot of cutting-edge great hospitals. In that case, it hasn't been as strained as a lot of other countries. I'm definitely confident in the healthcare system. Of course, it's it's not flawless and we have a lot of other obvious issues. It's under-resourced and people have their cynicism. But I think that it's such a pity that even someone like me who has never supported this government, I'm always happy to acknowledge that we have a great healthcare system. I've been around the world. I've been intimately analyzing a lot of the other healthcare systems around the world in both advanced economies and emerging markets. And I can see that Turkey really, especially considering its level of economic development, got this one thing right. But it is still, I think, such a shame because to me, something like this would have been a great opportunity to reduce the polarization and restore some trust in the government because I feel that in a lot of the rest of the world, there was a synergy and a moment of solidarity within the communities brought by COVID people clapping in my neighborhood every day at 9 p.m. for healthcare workers. It cannot not give you goosebumps. Suddenly, we all started to appreciate each other from the janitor to the delivery persons. Yeah. And there's a sense of solidarity all around. Absolutely. So, 
And Turkey right now is the most polarized, one of the most polarized countries in the world. And I thought, especially given how great the healthcare system is, this would be a this could be a great opportunity to reduce those polarizations and restore trust. I'm happy to acknowledge that the country has a very good healthcare system. And I'm saying this compared to so many places that I've lived and traveled in. But it's just such a pity that we decided to go in a different direction. I wish we were able to match the greatness of other things with this quite optimized healthcare system given a country of, I think, about GDP per capita with around $10,000, I think. I wish we could optimize other freedoms and other resources we have. But unfortunately, it's not going to be the case. Yeah. Are there any rules on masks? Should, should you be wearing masks outdoors? I believe it's still mandatory to wear masks. And people have been largely following. But of course, there are going to be people who are not happy with that and just not going to be super disciplined with their habits and social distancing and so on. But largely, I would say in the places that I've been so far, I've seen most people trying to adhere to it. But then I'm, to be honest, not going out that much. I also heard the reports that during the the religious holidays, beaches were packed and people were acting irresponsibly. Mm. Were there any uh, disruption to supplies? For example, here, pasta, flour, things like that uh, were in short supply for, for a long time. Right. I think that's a very German thing to do, to be honest. There was this really funny moment. There were some days they would announce a weekend lockdown on Fridays. And people in my neighborhood definitely have their priorities straight. So I'm living in front of a supermarket and shop corner shop that sells booze, basically. We call Tekel Bayi in Turkish. Um, after the lockdown was announced, there were some people buying water and basic necessities from the supermarket. And there was a massive queue in front of the booze shop. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. This was experienced so, in other parts of the world also. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. People need it. Yeah, people need it. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Another ritual that I had was Sebastian cooked a really fancy meal every Sunday and Saturday. So that was pretty nice because also that was something we did to ritualize that. Okay, the week is over. Now it's the weekend. I know you can't tell. I know it feels like it's irrelevant, but now good food and wine and you can relax for two days. Wow. So you created these little rituals for yourself. That was really helpful as well. Yes, I inspired him to dress well as well. I mean, obviously he's German, so he doesn't have my sense of style or refined sense of high fashion, you know, but every little helps. Definitely. So, so Didim, how do you foresee your projects, all these tall projects? How do you think they will pan out in the future? I really don't know at this point. Sometimes I get really upset about thinking, is this it? Like, is this the end of my journalism career? Because 
obviously I have other things going on. I have some plans already. I, I'm finally able to work on a, another short documentary. I'm following a collective of Syrian refugee women who are opening up a food and healthy eating enterprise right now. And I'm going to follow them. That's going to be one project that still gives me a lot of excitement. And I have some ongoing consulting and editorial engagements going on, which are great and stimulating projects. But I have no idea when I'm going to be able to get back to my traditional reporting and foreign correspondence. So I don't know, really. I Sometimes I try to stay optimistic, but sometimes I feel like they our carriers just stifle a cough and die because one problem is that I read that about 3,000 creative jobs in the U.S. are being lost every day and being a journalist working for the English language media outlets of course our carriers are very much adjacent to the U.S. economy so I feel like a lot of us will have to start from scratch because a lot of our editorial contacts are laid off or gone or they are having an election coming up this year, fingers crossed. So there is not going to be a massive amount of interest in the rest of the world. But hopefully there are always going to be interesting stories for us to tell. And I just think that no matter what happens, we are going to find a way to carve our own paths and do our things. How do you think the world will look like, did matter we regain all our freedoms? Do you have any thoughts on that? I am very worried about the implications of COVID on the authoritarianism. It's already been a global trend that manifested in my part of the world as well. Actually, I would say we were the flag carriers of the, as the first Western nation to succumb into this increasingly rising archetype of a charismatic and right-wing populist leader. And we see that in times of uncertainty, that's a very attractive premise for a lot of people. And I describe authoritarianism as a pre-existing condition for COVID to thrive. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So there is no lockdown in Turkey right now, is there? No, right now, no. But I'm not sure how the cases are going to be. I feel that the second wave is loading. I mean, numbers are rising slowly. And yeah. rising. Yeah. I think... An issue that's as big as public health is that people just don't trust the data anymore. They don't trust the government. And as far as I could tell, Germany, for example, had certain countries that allowed travelers in and out. And I could see that there were countries in that list that actually did way worse than Turkey, that had way poorer healthcare system and had many more cases and um, sketchy things going on but Turkey wasn't in that list that was allowed and when I heard that I was a bit angry because I know that Germany 
has certain tendencies. Sometimes I feel that Germans have hostile attitudes towards Turkey. So I was a little bit angry with that when I heard that because I interpreted that as a manifestation of racism. But then I thought, sure, we have a great healthcare system and it's been handled relatively well, but they just don't trust the figures. They don't trust the data. Can you blame them? No. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I understand. I just have one question. What do you think the immediate future for us uh, is going to look like for the next three months? You think the status quo is going to remain the same? I think most of us are still going to be in the survival mode. I'm just taking it one day, one project at a time, really. And I'm just revising my plans and my options every week. So it's just so difficult to say what things are going to look like in three months because it's difficult to be shocked nowadays. It's nothing can shock us anymore. Yeah. Did you see that news piece about Emirates offering to pay (laughs) funeral services for their loyalty members? Yes, I saw that. Actually, I think I saw it on your Twitter when you shared it. So I thought every day I'm seeing more and more headlines that just capture that absurdity of, yeah, okay, another previously unsaid sentence in human history, Emirates is going to fund your funeral if you die of COVID. That is just so late stage capitalism, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's late stage capitalism. That level of absurdness can only happen with this kind of a neoliberal global economy. So morbid. Yeah, on that note, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for your interest in my millennial Kalisha bingo life and habits. That was Didam Tally. We will check back with her in the second season. Next week, a couple from Hong Kong left for Canada to sit out the pandemic as the virus raged in China. But soon enough, Circumstances forced them to return to Hong Kong. In the process, the virus they wanted to avoid caught up with them on the plane. The story of Wendy and Dominic. Stay tuned. Follow us on your favorite podcast provider and look for us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube or our website recordofchange.com. The podcast is implemented by and with members of the Bosch Alumni Network.